Well, if you can't get excited about Jesus after that, there's something wrong with you. So uh, you need to see me after the service so we can get you saved. Um, thank you for having me back. Uh, I know the last time I was here, I gave a nice lecture on uh, the reliability of Scripture. So today you're going to get to see a slightly different uh, sermon from me. I am a teacher at Liberty University. I teach in the School of Divinity, the graduate school. Um, my connection to this church came through your former pastor, who was a PhD student in my program. I'm the PhD program director. All that means that for a couple of bucks, I can get a good cup of coffee at a local restaurant. Um, those degrees are really meaningless, except that they give me a job. Um, I came here today to speak to you on the topic of, uh, you know, what, what's your confidence? What's your confidence? Yesterday, I had the privilege of sitting among thousands of young people who graduated from Liberty University. We got to watch as uh, Mel Gibson came to the stage. We got to watch uh, Rashad Jennings give a speech. Willie Robertson was, I mean, it was a star-studded cast. I was there, so everybody was excited. Uh, <laughs> although Mel Gibson did, just to let you know, mentioned a green robe. My robe's green, so I felt like he was talking directly to me. So, because Mel Gibson and I were buddies. So if you want my autograph afterwards, I'm happy to give it to you. <clears throat> I feel like I'm very important now because Mel Gibson talked about my robe. As I watched these students get ready to graduate, though, I kept thinking about the reality of life that they're going to face. It's been a long time since I graduated college, even longer since I graduated high school. Since then, I've had the privilege of pursuing multiple degrees, including a doctoral degree, which I was not going to go to graduation for, but my wife, who's here with me today, forced me to go. Longest graduation, if you think Liberty's was long, the one I went to for my doctorate was even longer, if you can imagine that, and we didn't have Mel Gibson, so I'm just saying... Right, it makes it a lot easier when you have somebody interesting. Um, so, I, but I remember after I graduated, I had no idea what to expect. I, I got my PhD, and here's my expectation. I, I've got this degree now. Everybody and their brother is going to want to hire me, right? Because I'm like the greatest thing ever. I have a PhD, for goodness sake. So who's not going to want my wisdom, my knowledge? Five years later, <laughs> working in a Christian bookstore, I quickly realized people didn't really care about my degrees. People really didn't care about my stuff. And what I quickly found out is my life situation often reveals where my confidence really is. I'd placed my confidence in all these degrees and all these accomplishments and all these things I had done. And I thought because I'd done these great things because I was this amazing person that everybody and their brother was going to love me and I was going to be accepted. But the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, that what I want to talk to you about today is the most important topic you'll ever hear. Where's your confidence? We're going to look at a story in a moment about the prophet Elijah. Elijah is one of my favorite heroes in the Bible, not because uh, he's the best known, but because of the way he lived his life. And what I want you to see as we look through this passage, it's a long passage, we're going to read it in a moment. As we look through this and investigate, we're going to con contrast two people. We've got a widow and we've got Elijah. And we're going to contrast them. We're going to see that their situation and their source ultimately reveals their confidence. And I want you to see the sharp contrast between Elijah and the widow. All of us are at various stages of life. I look around this room, I see people younger than me, I see people about my age, maybe a little older, uh, you know who you are, just own it. Um, I see people who are into all kinds of cool stuff, music, uh, books, comics, if you're like me, a comic geek. Uh, I, see, I see people who have businesses, I see people who've created businesses and lost businesses. There are people here who had great relationships, had horrible relationships. There are people here who have lived and succeeded and lived and failed. 
because our situations change. At 56 years old, I've learned, if I've learned anything, it's our situations are going to change. My wife was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis shortly after our daughter was born, and it was a devastating diagnosis for us. We went to Bader Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. Doctor looked at her, didn't even look at her x-rays, didn't look at her test, simply said to her, you have multiple sclerosis. And I remember the hour uh, drive back from Dallas to Waco was full of tears. We had no idea what to expect. Lisa was my only hope. I had a daughter. I had no idea how to raise a daughter. Phoebe's laughing because she knows it's true. Uh, I had no idea. what. To, and I told Lisa, you can't go anywhere. <laughs> you can't leave me. You can't die. I don't know how to raise this female thing. It's kind of like that puppy. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. I was devastated. I was overwhelmed. And I realized quickly that I had to look to a different source to take care of my situation. So let's take a look at Elijah and the widow, and let's, let's look at their situation, their source, and their confidence. Let me read the passage to you, and then we'll break it down. It says, uh, uh, I'm sorry, we're in 1 Kings 18, uh, 17, in case you want to turn there. Uh, 1 Kings 17, we're going to read verses 8 to 24. 1 Kings 17, 8 to 24. I love to hear those Bible pages turning. Thank you. Or if you have your electronic. I love to hear those humming phones. Uh, whatever, whatever works for you. That's fine. All right, here's what the Word of God says. Then the Word of the Lord came to, to Elijah. Get up, go to Seraphath. That belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Look, I have commanded a woman there who is a widow, and she will provide for you. So Elijah got up and went to Seraphath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. As she went to get it, he called back to her, and he said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in the jug. And even now, I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to prepare it for myself and my son that we can eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you've said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and for your son, for this is what the Lord your God, the God of Israel, says. The flour jar will not become empty, and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. So he proceeded to do according to the, she proceeded to do according to the word of the Lord from Elijah. And the woman, Elijah, and her household, one son, by the way, ate for many days. The flour of the jar did not become empty. The oil jug did not run dry according to the word of the Lord as he had spoken through Elijah. After this... Right? So things are going great. Life is wonderful. The woman's got a full jug, full flower. The man of God's in the house. Everybody's prospering. This was Joel Osteen's church. We stopped there. Um, right? Talk about how God fulfilled every right? the word of the Lord, etc. Since this is not Joel Osteen's church, we won't stop there. The next verse. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness became very severe until no breath remained in him. Uh, that's Hebrew for he, he died. He done expired. Um, she said to Elijah, man of God, why have you come to me? What do we have in common? Have you come here to remind me of my sin, of my guilt? Have you come to kill my son? And Elijah said, now remember, this is the same guy that brought all the flour and the oil to you, but now he's the enemy. But Elijah said to her, give me your son. 
So he took him from her arms, brought him into the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, have you also brought tragedy on this widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, please let this boy's life return to him. So the Lord listened to Elijah's voice. The boy's life returned and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him down from the upper room into the house, gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, look, your son is alive. That has to be the most bland announcement of a resurrection ever, right? Look, he's alive. Okay, so everything's kosher. Go bake me some bread. Um, I don't know. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know you are a man of God, and the Lord's word from your mouth is true. If you look at the widow's condition, you'll see a pitiful person. By the way, I want you to note something very important about how God works. Elijah, earlier in our story, has just prayed to God that it wouldn't rain. Now, I know there are probably farmers in this area. That's probably not a prayer. You know, lately, in our area of Lynchburg, we get a lot of rain, which hence the name Drenchburg is what they tend to call us. Um, so some of us that have been praying, dear Lord, like Elijah, please stop the rain. All right, but Elijah had prayed there'd be no rain for several years. So there was famine, there was drought in the land because Elijah had prayed. So God sent Elijah to this cave. You know the story, perhaps. And in First uh, Kings uh, 16, in the first part of 17, he's in the cave and he's got these ravens bringing him food. I don't know about you, but this is the worst chef situation ever, right? Ravens, blackbirds bringing you food and you're drinking out of a, a stream. And at one point, the ravens quit coming and the stream dries up. The, the well ran dry. And so what does God say to Elijah? He doesn't say to Elijah, hey, Elijah, your pension check is coming. Hey, Elijah, that, that money you got for, uh, for quitting your job early and retiring early, that money's come. Hey, Elijah, you won the Publisher's Clearinghouse. Guess what? You're taking care of $5,000 a week for life. You got it made, Elijah. No. He says, Elijah, here's what I'm going to do. The ravens are done. The stream's done. So I'm going to send you to a widow's house. Let that sink in for a second. A widow's house. My grandmother was a widow, had nine kids. When you went to my grandmother's house, you could shoot a shotgun through the front door, you go out the back door, and you wouldn't hit anything in between. That's how big of a widow's house she had. My grandmother was a poor woman, raised nine kids in poverty. God sent Elijah to a widow's house. I have no idea if the widow knew he was coming or not. I have no idea if she knew that the man of God was going to be staying at her house. The language in the text seems to indicate she had an idea that visitors were coming because she mentions to him, I don't have any food. But Elijah shows up at this widow's house. This is God's way of providing for, and I want you to see, providing for Elijah. Elijah doesn't go to the king's house. He doesn't go to the prince's house. He doesn't go to the president's house. He doesn't go to Social Security or the IRS to get his help. He goes to a widow's house at the word of the Lord. And when he gets to the widow's house, the widow's situation is so horrible that she's basically ready to cook her last meal and die with her son. Doesn't that encourage you, right? My well ran dry at my cave. The ravens quit coming. I go to a widow's house, and the first words out of her mouth are, oh, it's so great to have you here. Let me cook you some food. Here, have the best seat in the house. No, her first words to you is, well, welcome. You're glad to stay here, but my son and I are going to eat our last meal and die. Happy, right? I hope you don't have family members like that at Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? This is not a happy moment. But notice her situation. 
Her son, she's out gathering sticks. Her son is apparently very young. In, in the time of Elijah, widows had no means of support. There were, if their husband died, they were left on their own. If their husband didn't leave them money, if their husband didn't leave them support, they were done. They had to be taken care of by the state. They had to be taken care of by the priest. They had to be taken care of by the temple. And this widow had a son, but apparently he was too young to work because she's out gathering sticks, not her son. So apparently he's a little one, you know, two, three, four years old. He's not old enough to get a job. So she's on her last dime, her last bit of bread, her last bit of oil, and the prophet comes up and says to her, make me some bread and bring me a glass of water. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. You're at home. Somebody comes along and asks you for food, and you have none. You're not prepared. You know, usually at our house, that means if somebody's knocking on the door, the vacuum cleaner's going all of a sudden, <laughs> if you're like us, right? Last-minute preparations. My mom's coming to visit. This week will be a whirlwind of cleaning, because uh, God forbid we should let Granny know how we really live. Um, she knows. I'm teasing. Uh, she, she knows. <laughs> if my mom heard me say that, she'd be mad at me. My wife probably is. Sorry, honey. Um, the point I want you to get from this is the widow's situation. She's in a bad shape. I mean, literally, she's at the. This is the end. She for her, she's gonna eat her last supper and die, and her son's gonna die with. Her. They're gonna starve to death. Okay, and this man of God comes along and asks for some bread. Dude, I've only got enough bread for my son and me, and you want the last. Fine, here you had the last piece of bread. We're gonna die anyway. Come join us. Die with us. Have at it. When he, when he first meets her, her attitude is focused on her situation. I've got no bread, got no wine, i got nothing. What she doesn't know, or maybe she does know, her situation was caused by Elijah. Elijah prayed and there was no rain. The lack of rain caused there to be no grain. The lack of grain caused there to be nothing to give the widow so she could live on. Wonder how she would have responded had she found out that it was Elijah's prayer that led to all her misery. <laughs> Which you said, No, I'm not giving you a piece of bread, you jerk. Go pray to God and get him to give you a piece of bread. I don't know. But this woman's trials reveal to us where her confidence is placed. Her situation was terrible. Yes, I'll admit it. Her situation was horrible. But it wasn't beyond God. We just sang two songs about how God is able. Through God we overcome. Demons flee at the mention of his name. You ever thought about that? You, my life might look miserable in some ways. And I've had my share of trials. Everybody has. If I haven't had them this week, I'm going to have some next week. It's their trials are coming, ladies and gentlemen. Face the reality. You cannot, you cannot avoid bad stuff happening in your life. Where do we look when trials happen? Do we, do we look to the outside circumstances and, and, and we, we think how bad things are? Do, do we look for deliverance from somebody else? The man of God came to my house and all he wanted was a piece of bread. He didn't really help me out, right? What, do we, uh, where's our confidence in our situation? I don't know your situation, so I'll be the first to admit, as a stranger in your midst, I have no idea what you're going through. I, I got that. So please don't misunderstand me. But I know this. When we look to our situation for our solutions, we're going to find ourselves disappointed. This woman was wrapped up in her situation, and she had a bad source for the fulfillment of her problems. She looked at her son 
for her salvation. Think about this. This widow probably expected her son to fill up the bread basket, but he was too young to work. Without help, the two of them were destitute. They're going to fall apart. God sent Elijah to provide food for them, but she didn't notice Elijah as provision. Notice that. When he first showed up, she didn't see him as provision. She saw him as a problem. Great, one more mouth to feed. My son and I are about to eat our last meal, and you're going to come along and hog in on it? Wonderful. Welcome aboard. Right? She had no visible means of support. Elijah walks in and says to her, fix me some bread. She confesses her horrible situation. I can't help you. I'm out of food. I got just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And the man of God says to her, listen to me. This is what the Lord has said. If you'll do what I said, the flour will never run out and the oil will never run out. Now, I'm convinced that the flour jug didn't fill up. I'm convinced that every day when she went to the flour jug, there was still the same little bit amount of flour. Every day. It was never full. When she went to the oil jug, it wasn't a full oil jug. It just had that little bit of oil every day, every day, every day, every day. But God miraculously provided for her like manna in the wilderness every day. And for a while, things were great. Woo, the manna of God is in our house. Look at us go. We have bread every day. We have oil every day. I know most of you are thinking, dude, I'd like to eat something more than bread and oil. But back then, that was, that was a great meal. Okay? She's happy, all her hunkies are dory, life is going great, and after this, right, after this, her son got sick and died. How do I know she's looking to her son for her source? When her son dies, look at her response. When her son dies, her response is not, oh Lord, help me. Her response is, Elijah, what have you done to me? Look, look at this. She says to him, why did you come to me? She's been eating this man's bread for weeks. Miraculously appearing right there in the, the bread basket. She just goes in and gets a flour and makes a bed every day. Can you imagine taking the last piece? Go home today. Empty out your pantry. Take the last can of food or the last loaf of bread. Throw it in the garbage can and see if tomorrow morning you have any more left. If bread miraculously appears, I'm coming to your house. You can tell I'm an eater, so you better have a, a lot of faith. Um, I'm just saying, I'm being honest. See, for weeks she's been having this experience. Then her son dies, and her first thought isn't, God will come through, God will provide, my son has died, but God's bigger than this. No, her first thought is, man of God, what have you done to me? Her first thought is to look at her son as her source, thinking that this physical something, this human something, could satisfy the deepest needs of her life, and she missed the point. She's crying out for a son to save her in spite of God. Think of it. I don't know about you. I've seen very few miracles in my life. And when I do, they shock me because I haven't seen very many of them, right? So if you've ever seen a miracle, you're like me. You're probably like, God, I want to see that again. Right? Can we do that part two? Right? I want to be there. The men on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember them? You know, Peter, James, and John. And they see Jesus glowing white, and they see Elijah and Moses there. They get so pumped, they're thinking, holy cow, we just want to stay here forever. But then they have to come down the hill, and they have to encounter the demon-possessed child. Remember all this? You know this from the gospel stories. Why is it we get so wrapped up in the miraculous? Because we love the show. Right? Mel Gibson. On stage, woo! Right, the crowd went wild. Twitter was alive. 
People taking pictures, right? Mel Gibson can't save you. Rashad Jennings can't save you. Your children, your relatives, your family, your neighbors, the government of the United States of America cannot save you. That's not our provision. That's not our source. For weeks, God had miraculously multiplied her food. And when she lost the one thing she thought was going to be with her forever, she turned on God. She blames Elijah. (laughs) Why'd you come to me? She blames her own sin. She feels guilty. She even blames God for her situation. Her source is revealed in her trial. And her source is human-oriented. I want to encourage you, as a congregation, that the source of ministry for this church is not human orientation. It's the God you just sang about, the God you just cheered about, the God you just hooped and hollered about. That's the source. What makes this church a light and darkness, salt on this earth, is not all these people in this room. And God bless you. Thank you for being here. I don't mean any disrespect. But it's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the Jesus Christ who died for us living in you that makes this church great. Not a single person. Not an individual. Not an attractive personality. It's not the prophet of God. It's the God of the prophet that matters. I want you to understand that. Her source was human. Trials revealed where her confidence was placed, and, and, and she blamed others. She blamed God. She, she wallowed in her self-pity. Do we do that? Are we like the widow? Her lack of confidence is obvious in how she responds to her situation. Let me just share this with you about the widow. I want to get on to Elijah because his story is so much more positive. The widow trusted his circumstances more than in what God said. She went from God has said to has God said? Let me, let me make you a promise. In this book are 66 books. God breathed, infallible, inerrant, without error. God spoke it. If it's in here, you can rely on it. Last time I was here, I showed you how the Gospels alone are so historically reliable that to even dispute it is to show your ignorance. God is a reliable witness. And this widow went from saying, God has said, let's do this, to saying, did God really say that? Let me say, if you're centered in this book, if you're filled with His Spirit and walking in the words of this book, this church will always do the ministry God's called it to do. You won't lack for widows to multiply bread for if you're following the Lord. The source, the widow's source was not the Word of God. It was the question mark. Her confidence was not in God. Her confidence was in her circumstances. She trusted in the prophet more than she trusted in God's ability to to meet her need. The widow revealed a decided lack of confidence in what God can do. She had seen the miracle of the bread, the miracle of the oil, but she couldn't see how God could provide in the death of her son. I don't know about you. I don't know your situation. 
trials reveal you where your confidence is placed. Maybe you've lost somebody very dear to you. My father died in 2004. I remember when my dad died, a decided lack of grief right at the moment because I was in shock. I didn't live in my hometown where my father passed away. And I remember going to his funeral. I remember praying at his graveside. The pastor asked me if I'd hold the graveside uh, uh, the prayer. I remember com- comforting my mom and my brothers. And I remember six months later thinking, I ought to ask dad about... And the tears came. I couldn't ask dad about it. My father was with Jesus. And I remember for a while, I got a, I got a little bit down. I got a little bit depressed about that issue. But then I began to realize the same God who supplied for my father for the 70 plus years of his life is the God who lives and breathes in me. The same God who caused my father to be a man of witness to the greatness and the, the faithfulness of God lives in me. The legacy my father left is not simply a legacy of works, it's a legacy of Jesus. And when I began to realize that, I still missed him. Yes, I still miss him. Twelve years later, I still miss him. I'd love to talk to dad again. But I've learned something from him. 3,000 people, my hometown's 5,000 people, 3,000 people showed up at his funeral. You know why? Because he left a legacy of Jesus. A legacy of what God had said. His trust was in God. When trials come, our confidence is revealed. The widow's confidence was in people, not in God. But let's look at Elijah for a few moments to close this out. Because Elijah gets it right. Elijah's condition isn't any better than the, uh, the widow's. He gets kicked out of Israel due to a conflict with Ahab and Jezebel. If you don't remember, Jezebel wants him dead. If you don't remember the story, let me back up a little bit and tell you the preview of coming attractions, okay? Elijah is upset with Israel because they're worshiping Baal, the, the false gods of the Philistines. And so he calls a summit meeting on top of a mountain. And he encourages the prophets of Baal, you remember this? To, to pray to their God to send fire for the altar. So they take two bulls, one for the false god and one for Yahweh, the true God. Then they take the, the prophets over here, the false prophets take this bull and they slice it all up, they put it on the altar and then they cry out to their God for fire from heaven and they cut themselves and they dance and they shout and they holler and they scream and they do all this stuff and they do this for hours. Meanwhile, Elijah's over there, cuts his bull up, puts it on the wood, digs a trench around it, tells the guys around him, go get me some water. They bring him buckets of water. He said, dump it on there, dump more, keep going, keep going, till the trenches are full of water, Right? Once he's done preparing his sacrifice, by the way, I don't recommend preparing your sacrifice for, by dumping water on it, but that's what Elijah does. He looks over at the prophets of Baal and he says, has he heard yet? Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Cry a little louder. And then he turns around and he looks at his bull and he says these words, so that you may know that Yahweh is God. God hears your sacrifice. And it said, fire fell from heaven and devoured the bull, devoured the wood, and licked up the water in the trench. I'd be repenting. I don't know about you. First one to the altar. Elijah, pray for me. I'm a man of little faith. Then Then he took a sword, Elijah, took a sword and killed all the false prophets. Killed them. How are you a pastor like that, people? I'm just saying. Right? Get a man, get a, an Elijah. 
But turn around, and right after that, where's Elijah? Jezebel puts a bounty on his head. I want him dead. Uh, Ten million dollars to the guy that kills Elijah. And Elijah's off hiding in a cave somewhere saying to God, Oh Lord, why have you done this to me? Dude, you just saw fire fall from heaven. You just killed several hundred prophets. What's up with that? Right? He's postpartum depression or something. I don't know what's going on with this guy. He's hiding in a cave. And God says to Elijah, I have 7,000 men who have not bowed to Baal. You go. Gird up your loins. I got stuff for you to do, Elijah. And Elijah, an obedient man, got up and ran. He prayed, and it didn't rain. He goes and hides at the widow's house, practically penniless, without any friends. Elijah goes to the widow's house to hang out. His condition, his situation, isn't much better than hers. He's basically an outcast. He was wanted. I don't know about you. I've never had a wanted poster printed up for my, with my name on it. Don't want one, so don't, don't print me one. Uh, I don't want to be wanted by the government. I don't want to be wanted by anybody. I, like to, I don't want to be famous. But I do want to be God's man. Elijah was wanted. He was hunted. He was hated. And when he showed up at the widow's house, God used him to provide for her in ways that are amazing. But Elijah never lost sight of his true source. His situation was bad. His situation was horrible. He was facing trials. He was under a death sentence. He could be killed any moment. But he showed the character of a man who trusts God. Robert Freeman says this, Character is not made in a crisis. It's merely exhibited. Let me say it again. Character is not made in a crisis. It's merely exhibited. When the trial comes, it doesn't make us better characters. It shows our character. Robert Layton said it like this. Adversity is the diamond dust that heaven polishes its gems with. Elijah's trials revealed him to be a man who trusted in God to accomplish the things that he was supposed to do. Where do we put our trust when trials come? Trials reveal where confidence is placed. Elijah's source is quite simply God and his word. Elijah was used to saying, God said, therefore God's going to do. Elijah had developed a relationship with God that was so close that when the Spirit whispered, it sounded like a shout to Elijah. I want you to have that relationship. We drove past many beautiful churches on our trip from Lynchburg to your lovely uh, church here. And there were signs in front of these churches. And one of the signs I read said, the Christian is a person who's led by the Spirit. And I wondered out loud to myself, do they know what that means? Do we as Christians know what it means to be led by the Spirit? And I got to thinking about that on the drive in here, and here's what I came up with. There are certain voices that I could pick out of a crowd. It doesn't matter how loud the crowd is. It doesn't matter how raucous the crowd is. It doesn't matter what's going on. My mama's voice to this day, I can pick out. My wife's voice, when I hear it, I know it's her. Right? Why? It's an easy answer. Because there's an intimacy there. I've listened to them. I've been in their presence. I've paid attention. How do you get led by the Spirit of God? You've got to spend time with God. If you ignore His Word, if you ignore the leading of His Spirit... If, you, if, the, if your Bible just sits on the shelf and collects dust, guess what? You're, when, the, when God speaks, you're going to wonder if it's God or not. It's just going to be another one of those many voices you hear all the time. right? 
you're like me, I have an ongoing conversation in my head all the time. I'm just that kind of person. I don't know if that makes me crazy or not. If there's psychologists in the room, please don't diagnose me. Um, but I'm always thinking of things, right? That's the nature of the professor. And, and sometimes in the middle of thinking those things, God intervenes in my thoughts and speaks to me. And I have to, I have to stop and shut down other things and start paying attention to that voice. I have to learn to be intimate with that voice. And Elijah had developed that intimacy so that when God said, the brooks run dry, go visit the widow, Elijah didn't say, widow? What the heck are you talking about? A widow? Man, I've been living with ravens and streams. Can't I go to somebody's hotel and stay for a while? No, Elijah got up and obeyed. His intimacy with God was when God spoke. Elijah said, okay. And he went. Ladies and gentlemen, let me say to you this. If you develop a source with God that trusts his word and obeys him in every circumstance, you will never fail for seeing God move in this congregation. Oh, that doesn't mean you'll be the greatest known church in the world. It doesn't mean you'll become famous. It doesn't mean that everybody will love you. In fact, my, my guess is like Elijah, some people might not like it when you start speaking God's word. But if you do that, I can tell you that lives will be radically changed and transformed. Hearts will be renewed. People who are dead will become alive. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Lost, dead people brought to life. And all it takes is simple obedience. God uses sources and instruments we would never choose. But in his wisdom, he chooses them to accomplish his purposes, and to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. Elijah needed a place to stay. God sent a widow. The widow needed grain. God sent a prophet. None of these things makes any logical sense when you think about it. But it was God's way of working. We would choose a hero. God chose a widow. Right? We want Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man. Pick your favorite heroes. Left anybody out? Hawkeye. Right? If I left anybody out you like, you can put them in there later. We'd say, give me Captain America or Superman. Men of honor, dignity, save the day, never fail. Right? God sends you a widow, an orphan, a cripple, someone who has no visible means of support. Have you ever had that experience? God, what I need is a breakthrough, so God sends you a broken hammer. Right? And by the way, if you're one of those broken hammers, this isn't saying anything bad about you. They're the best hammers in town. Once God gets a hold of a broken hammer, it's breaking things. Trust me on this one. Trust me on this one. God uses tools we wouldn't pick. We simply wouldn't pick them. I... I can't tell you how many times I've actually said about my own life that it's the people that God picks that surprise me, right? How many of you are like me? I look in the mirror every day, and I see this face, and I say to myself, God, I don't know why you want me on your team. I'm a screw-up. Man, if I started listing my failures, we'd be here the rest of the day, and I know you want to get to lunch, so I'm not going to make that happen. I don't, I, I can't, I don't sometimes even get my sermons right. I preached once in, in, in Louisville, Kentucky. True, true story. And it was so embarrassing, even the pastor himself tried to save me from it. Right? There was no salvation from it. It was embarrassing. And I went down and sat down in the front pew and I thought to myself, oh my God, I need to reevaluate my life. I am not a preacher. Can I tell you that at the end of that sermon, 
people got saved. The worst sermon I ever preached and people got saved. And I'm sitting there in the front pew thinking, God, this is stupid. I messed this sermon up. God loves broken things. You don't believe me? Read the Bible. Abraham? Oh, come on. He's a loser. He's a pagan. The guy lies about his wife all the time. Cheated on her just to have a baby with some other woman. Right? I know what you're thinking. Now you're all thinking, yeah, I know people like that. That's Abraham, the father of all the faithful, ladies and gentlemen. Right? Isaac. Isaac plays favorites with his kids, and he picks the wrong one. Right? This is your hero. Right? Jacob of Jacob and Esau. Come on. Now everybody's got to admit, Jacob, really? You're going to pick Jacob to run your business? Jacob's a con man. He's going to take you for money. And yet Jacob's the guy through whom the 12 tribes of Israel are born. Jacob's the guy through whom the tribe of Judah is born. And if you don't know who Judah is, you need to hear this. Judah's the tribe through who Jesus comes. So Jacob is a direct descendant, a direct ancestor to Jesus Christ. Jacob the con man. There you go. There's your hero for you. Jephthah. Have you ever read the judges? Jephthah is my favorite judge. You know why? He was a total screw-up. Well, actually, Samson was pretty big at screwing up, too, I guess. So when you start comparing judges, you have a lot of those guys, don't you, Barak? Yeah, they all kind of mess up a little bit. But I love Jephthah. You know why? Because Jephthah makes a huge mistake, and yet God still uses him. Samson, huge mistake. God still uses him. David? Hero? Solomon? Samuel? Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, should I go on? Peter, James, John, even Paul, the great apostle, right? I love Paul. I teach Paul at school. I love Paul. And we all think, Paul, if I only want to get to heaven, if I just get to get in line and talk to Paul, everything will be great because he'll explain all these things to me. Paul was a man who wanted to murder you simply because you were a Christian. Elijah had been humbled before God and self-reliance was no longer an option. How does God provide for us in ways that are a challenge, ways that challenge our independence, ways that challenge our self-reliance? Trials reveal character. Trials reveal confidence. What are our trials revealing about our confidence today? Is there intimacy, dependence on God? Is it evidence in our trials? Elijah's confidence was so strong in God that when her kid died, when the widow's kid died, notice he doesn't panic. I don't know about you. Right, 911. Call 911. That's what you'd be doing, right? Somebody's sick or dying in your house. 911. Dial 911. Get CPR started. Do something. Prop up their head, right? Boil some sheets. I don't know. Get some hot water. I don't know. What do you do when somebody's dying in your house, right? But not Elijah. No, Elijah says, I love this. Don't be afraid. Bring the boy to me. Dude, the boy's dead. Does that have creepy written all over it to you? Bring the dead body to me. Bring the boy to me. Do not be afraid. Bring the boy to me. He takes the boy upstairs to his room, lays him on the bed, and he prays three times for him. Why three times? I'll tell you why three times, because the first two times the boy didn't get up. <laughs> right? Elijah wasn't going to be done until the boy got up. So he was, Lord, raise this boy up. Lord, raise this boy. He kept three times, he persevered until God showed up and changed the situation. Where's your confidence? 
Let me tell you, you can't do anything so horrible that God can't redeem it. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your past is. I don't really care. Because here's the deal. God delights in taking things that everybody else thinks is trash and useless and making it something worthwhile. He did that for me. He can do it for you. I teach at Liberty University for goodness sakes. I didn't think anybody would want me. The largest evangelical school in the world, so we say. Jerry... Falwell founded this. I love Jerry Falwell when I was a new Christian. I wanted to be Jerry Falwell. I'm building it on my way. <laughs> no disrespect, Dr. Falwell loved food. Godly man. I wanted to be Jerry Falwell. But I figured out something pretty quick. The source that Dr. Falwell has is the source I need, the source of Jesus Christ, the source of the Word of God, the source of God's Spirit, trusting God. Dr. Falwell walked onto Liberty Mountain and he saw... What we saw as a wilderness, he saw as a thriving school training men and women to be champions for Christ. Now, you can say what you want about Jerry Falwell, but that's a vision. And most people thought he was crazy. Well, yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, I sat among crazy. And I couldn't help but think if Jerry Falwell were alive today, he'd say, we're not done yet. This ain't enough. Because he had a vision of a God that was bigger than a dead boy on a bed. Elijah doesn't try to explain to her why this happened. She asks him, why, am I, did I sin? Is this why it happened? He doesn't try to explain her the doctrine. He doesn't argue with her when she gets mad at him. He takes the son and he prays three times until the boy gets up. The result was God heard his cry, raised this boy from the dead, secured the widow's future through a divine source. Trials revive, uh, trials revere where our confidence is placed. Elijah knew God would provide, he just didn't know how. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with that? Am I comfortable with that? God will provide. I like to say that all the time. Oh, God will provide. God will come through. He will, but sometimes he's going to do it in ways that are going to make you go, what? God, really? That source, God? Elijah knew that God would provide. He just didn't necessarily know how. Remember Romans 8? We love Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good to those who love him. It's a great verse, but pay attention to it. It doesn't say God works good things together for good. God works all things together for good. Dying widows, children, yes. Lives that have been broken by mistakes and sins, yes. Lives that are virtuous and have integrity, yes. God works all things together for good. Because that's how God operates. Will we trust God? Let me close here because I need to. I see three things for us from this passage that we need to take confidence in. Three things we need to do this week. First, we need to check our own heart, our own focus, our own confidence. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe the world's falling apart around you. I get that. And trust me, if it is, I, I, I understand. I care. My world has fallen apart before. 
I get that. So I'm not here to say, it's not Pollyanna. I'm not here to say God will make all your hunkies dory and the rest of your life will be happy and wealthy and wise and you know, go about your life and never worry about a thing. Shoot, I worry about stuff every stuff I shouldn't even worry, stupid stuff. I worry if my car's going to start. Right? Well, it starts every morning, but I still worry about it. Right? Where's my confidence? Focus on the things of God. Ask ourselves the question, what do we trust? Make some time this week. All of us need to do this. Make some time this week. Sit down in God's presence and listen to his voice. See what he's saying to us. Where's my confidence? Where's my confidence? My confidence needs to be in him. My confidence needs to be in his voice, in his word, in his spirit. Make time. Where are you looking to when the world falls apart? Are you looking to human resolutions? Are you looking to the courts? Are you looking to the government? Are you looking to a hero to come in? I think it'd be kind of cool if Captain America came slinging his shield and saved the day in my life. I think that'd be really cool. In fact, I'd get his autograph. I love Captain America. So. But guess what? He ain't. Right? He's not going to come in and save the day. Superman's not going to swoop down out of the heavens and make everything right for us. We have a Superman, by the way, who's already done that. His name is Jesus Christ. And when he came to earth, he didn't look so super. You've got to remember, he's a baby. They didn't have any place to put him, so they put him in the feeding trough. So he wouldn't roll out and land on the floor. So they put him in the feeding trough. Right? His first worshipers were a bunch of shepherds that stunk. And they were frightened. <laughs> How about like that for worshipers? His second group of worshipers were rich men who were shocked to find him. <laughs> In a feeding trough. The king of the world became flesh. He became one of us. People hated him. People thought his mama had an affair on Joseph, so they called him an illegitimate child. They called him a lot worse, but we can't say those words in church. Uh, they called him all kinds of names. They said things like, your mother had an affair. You're not even her son. You're not even really Joseph's kid. We can't trust you. That's our Superman. A man who would walk into a city and see a lame man and say, get up and walk. And the guy would get up and walk. A man who would walk and see a blind man and say, you can see. And the man would see. A man who walked into other cities and didn't do any miracles at all. He hung on a cross for us. He became sin that we might become righteous. That's our superhero. The sins of the whole world were placed on him. That's not just your sins, by the way. Ours are big enough. Just this room right here. If all of us, if one of us were designated to take everybody's sins in here, they'd say, no. Trust me. You wouldn't want it. But Jesus didn't just take ours. He took everybody's, 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 everybody. Sin died on that cross with Jesus. And then they put him in a tomb. He didn't have enough money to buy his own grave plot. So they put him in a borrowed tomb, and on a Sunday morning, just like this one, that tomb was empty. How many people showed up for the party? You remember? No one. I know you're thinking, well, the women were there. They weren't there for a party. They were there to take care of a corpse. And when Jesus showed himself resurrected, the disciples all came running and decided, this is the thing, let's do it, right? No, if you read the story, you know what they did. They were like, um... I'm not so sure about all this, Jesus. 
We need to ask God to increase our faith. I, I, I'm going to give you one more lesson, and I'll, I promise I'll close. Here's the one thing. Take this. If you take anything away from this today, take this. If you want your faith to grow, obey. Because if you're unwilling to obey, you can't grow. So whatever you've got out there that God wants you to do, do it and watch your faith increase. Get intimate with God this week. Seek opportunities to be God's provision for others in trouble. Find needs, meet needs. This week, go out and be somebody's widow, be somebody's Elijah. I want to close with a story. It's not a made-up story. It's not a fictional story. It's a story right out of the Bible. Paul the Apostle was waiting his execution date. He'd gotten the bad news that Nero was going to have him killed, that for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, his, uh, his reward from Rome was to have his head separated from his shoulders. He'd written a letter to Timothy. And he said, Dear Timothy, come before winter and bring the parchments, bring the clothes with you. I want to see you. I've got a bad sentence from Nero, and I need to see you. Go read 2 Timothy if you don't believe me. It's in there. And so Timothy packs his bags. He gets everything together after he gets the note from Paul. And he heads out to meet Paul. And history shows us that Timothy got there just a little late. Paul was already dead. Come before winter, Timothy. Come before winter. And I can't help but think if you stopped Timothy in the streets of Rome and you said to him, Timothy, is God faithful? Tears running down his eyes. His father in the faith has just been killed for preaching the gospel. I think Timothy would look at you with a bemused look. He'd look at you like he had three heads. What do you mean, is God? Of course God's faithful. But, but Timothy, Paul, Paul just died. You didn't get to here in time. You didn't even get here in time for the funeral. Timothy, is God faithful? And, and Timothy would say to you these words, God is faithful because it's his character to be faithful. If God stopped being faithful, the universe would spin out of control. If God stopped being faithful, the oceans would dry up. If God stopped being faithful, life as we know it would cease because faithfulness and love is part of who God is. Your mistakes, your trials, your hard situation may be caused by your sin, may be caused by somebody else's sin, may simply be because life can be hard sometimes. But God is faithful. And Timothy would say to you, I have no doubt in my mind, yes, he's faithful. And Timothy might even quote Job, though he slay me, yet I will worship him. So ladies and gentlemen, here's the challenge I have for you today. Where's your confidence? Where's your confidence? It's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful ministry. Lots of cool things that go on in this church. Vacation Bible School coming up. Get involved. That's good stuff. Man, I I learned so much about the Bible in Vacation Bible School. People cared about me. Sunday School, great ministry. Preaching, singing, great stuff. By the way, let me just brief advertisement. Gary Yates is an amazing guy. So if you had thought about taking next week off, don't. Gary Yates is my good friend. I might even be here to hear him speak, just to be honest with you. So um, he's that good. Come. Here's the point. This week, the community you live in, the people you work with, the city, the county, the state of Virginia is looking for somebody 
like Elijah. You might be a widow to somebody. Somebody that people look at and say, there's no way you're going to be any use to me. But you might just be what God wants to use to bring them, not just to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, but to show them the amazing power of an amazing God. This week, look for those opportunities. I'm not asking you to do anything big. I'm not asking for you to start a ministry. I'm simply saying, treat your neighbors as though you're the only Bible they're ever going to read. What verse are they getting? Where's your confidence? There may be somebody in this room today that doesn't know Jesus. Let me just say to you right off the bat, your confidence is already in the wrong place if you don't know Jesus. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. I couldn't stand up in front of you if it wasn't for Jesus. I'm an introvert by nature. My family can tell you that. When I was a kid, I was backwards. That's what they called it back then. I don't know what they call it now. I didn't hardly talk to anybody. I was scared to death of people in general. God put a call on my life. God changed me. It still makes me nervous to stand up here. When they put the microphone on my head, I was like, oh, Lord, don't let me screw this up. But I've learned something. It's not about the tools. It's not about the instrument. It's about the one who uses it. And the God who speaks through us is the God that does it. And if you let him use you, if you, if you let him make you the widow, make you the prophet, make you the person that he wants to minister to, he'll do it. So if you don't know Jesus... Oh, my word, don't leave here today. Don't do it. I'll be up here at the front. There'll be other people up here. Let me tell you that Jesus cares so much about you that he wants this to be your birthday, the day you come to know him. It's simple. It's simple. You turn your back on all the junk you've been putting your confidence in, all the sin, and you trust him. It's that simple. And then you follow him and you do what he says. For those of you who are Christians, this is your week. I don't know where your Seraphath is. I don't know who your Ahab and Jezebel are. But I know this, this is your week. God wants to show up in ways that you have not yet expected. Maybe it's ravens. Maybe it's a widow. Maybe it's oil and bread. Or maybe it's the resurrection of a dead person, a lost person. But I guarantee you this, if you place your confidence in Christ, this will be your week. This will be your week. This will be the time when God does amazing things. Let's pray. Father, you are <clears throat> you're amazing to me. Your word cuts, it wounds, it heals. I'm always surprised, Lord, what I have to learn just to be able to say what your word says. <clears throat> Father, we need more Elijahs. We need more we, as a people, need to find our confidence in you. Lord, I thank you for this church, for the witness of this church, for the blessing in this church. Lord, they've been a blessing in my life. I can see it in the lives of people in this building that they've been a blessing to multiple lives, that people are knowing Jesus and loving Jesus. But Lord, I pray that you'd make us more like Elijah. Strengthen our confidence in you. Make us your instruments this week. Let us see that no matter what our situation, that we can trust the source of Jesus Christ, that we can trust you and your word to come through. Lord, no matter what else happens today, let these words ring in our ears. You are faithful, and we can trust you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your mercy. We ask you to be blessed and receive our lives as sacrifices to serve you.
that Jesus may be honored, we pray. Amen.